This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax Gold with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years. With a 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, it's part two of our discussion with Dr. James Min about non-invasive cardiovascular imaging. That's his specialty. He's a former professor of radiology and medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College. Uh, his specialty is cardiovascular imaging. He's written over 500 peer-reviewed manuscripts, uh, and he is now... Uh, what is your title there? You are uh, like chief medical officer over there at Clearly? I'm the CEO. And the oh, you're founder. CEO. Oh, founder and CEO. Okay, great. Uh, congratulations. So Clearly is spelled C-L-E-E-R-L-Y. And uh, so in part one, we talked a little bit about, you know, why uh, image, why uh, look inside the artery to characterize uh, whether you have plaque and to differentiate between uh, the different types of plaque. So uh, so from a nuts and bolts standpoint, how does the uh, clearly scan differ from what some people are familiar with, which is the you know, CT, the coronary calcium scan, or the EBT heart scan? Uh, what is entailed? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, thanks for having me on the show, Dr. Hoffman. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. Um, from our standpoint at Clearly, what we've tried to develop is a comprehensive digital care pathway. Um, the first step of that pathway is probably um, one of the most important steps, which is um, taking this non-invasive coronary CT angiogram and then performing whole heart uh, coronary heart disease phenotyping. What does that mean? That means taking every single artery and its branches and quantifying and characterizing the type of atherosclerotic plaque buildup within those in order to try to help support physicians um, better treat their patients and better be able to track the disease over time. So that's, um, we, we leveraged the non-invasive CT scans. We had previously done this with our research studies when we were at Cornell and New York Presbyterian Hospital, but just found it to be an extremely manually intensive process that humans couldn't do well. Mm -hmm. Um, we first, we couldn't, it took a long time. And secondly, we weren't very good at it. So, so, so this is we, basically, I mean, you would get a, you get an image or a series of images and then you would look at them, you know, magnify them and look at them six ways a Sunday and try and evaluate them. But that's tedious and, you know, it's it potentially inaccurate. So you came up with a way of, of uh, using uh, algorithms or machine learning or AI or something to come up with an answer. Is that how that worked? We did, yeah. We created a series of about six machine-learned algorithms for the public. That's sort of the, you know, a colloquial term that we often use is artificial intelligence. And, you know, this didn't really take off until probably around 2013 to 2015 or so, uh, where we started to get the computational processing power that would allow for a lot of these 
uh, machine learned algorithms to, to work. Um, they tended to become uh, significantly superior to traditional ways that we would process images so that you could process them more rapidly with greater precision and greater accuracy. So we leveraged those machine learning algorithms to really try to homogenize the approach that you know, took us several hours um, for uh, for us to do it manually with the software that had been previously available. And then we tried to help um, automate this in a way that would make it easier for physicians to do this in clinical practice where it wasn't just a research tool anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first step of what we do, which is really directly visualize, quantify, and characterize the type of heart disease that an individual has. Okay, so, and I've seen the reports, and they're kind of cool because they're, you know, you mentioned grayscale. Well, the grayscale is converted into a color image, and then your doctor, even if your doctor is not like you, you know, uh, an expert in radiology and cardiovascular imaging, uh, they can discern uh, the pattern. They can see uh, red is bad, green is good, and then there are shades in between yellow and, and orange where there are gradations for the gunk basically, that accumulates in the arteries uh, to see if it's relatively benign or if it's, you know, very potentially dangerous, right? Yeah, actually, that's interesting that you say that because when we started the company, like people said, are you an AI company? And we say, well, no, we're not. And they said, are you an imaging company? And said, we definitely leverage imaging, but there are certain other major problems in care of patients that we tried to help. And so, we have a software platform that does that, performs that whole heart disease phenotyping. So that means quantification and characterization of the type of plaque across all vessels and, and branches. We also created a second software platform that allows um, anybody in medicine to understand. Like this came out of this issue where we, when we were at Cornell and we'd call our friends in the office and we'd explain what we were seeing on the image, like, Many of them, people said, like, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about because they don't mm-hmm. follow imaging. Yeah. And we said, well, yeah, that's a huge problem that right. the handoff of that data is being lost and it's the most important data. Right. So we wanted to create a platform that really helped educate people through data visualization, whether you're, you know, a advanced imager or an interventional cardiologist, a preventive cardiologist, a general cardiologist, maybe you're a primary care physician or an advanced practice provider like a nurse practitioner. We wanted everybody to be able to understand and really mm-hmm. find the data to be actionable. So um, so we created that. And then to your point about the report, like when we would use the images in the office when I was at Cornell to help educate the patients. And so we built in those features, but when we would give them the the reports to go home with, like everyone's like, I don't understand anything on the sheet of paper, so I don't even know why you're giving it to me. Right. So really automating implementation science through and empowering patients with health literacy was something that was very important to us as well. So yeah, we've tried to solve for multiple problems and so much of it is just pure education, right? It's taking this really decipherable, undecipherable information and deciphering it in a way that all of the stakeholders across the care continuum can really be empowered by it. So this is a little different than the EBT heart scan because I've actually undergone the EBT heart scan. You basically go into a donut like a CAT scan and you hold your breath for, you know, a few seconds and they, they take a snapshot and uh, that's it. And with this test, though, this is a, a, a an angiogram. So you have to be injected with a dye. It's true. Yeah, it's a non-invasive test. It's a fairly easy test. I think that when we... When I left Cornell, I think we were reserving about 15-minute slots for somebody to get their non-invasive CT angiogram. 
Um, the actual scan itself on the latest generation technology takes less than a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do get injected with an iodine-based uh, dye, um, and that is a safe, um, it's a, it's done, you know, tens of millions of times a year in the U.S. Um, and then because you have that dye, it can opacify the inside of the artery, which allows for the direct visualization of that non-calcified plaque that we talked about in the prior episode. Any contraindications to that? Because some people have shellfish allergies. Is that applicable to this? Shellfish allergies were more applicable to the um, older generation contrast from like the 1970s and mm-hmm. 1960s, but not so much anymore. But still people ask about it, and they'll mm-hmm. ask if you have an iodine allergy um, or an inability to, to do a CT scan. As you pointed out, it's a donut, like a that's a the CT gantry looks like a big old donut, and you just go through that donut. So you're never enclosed in a you know, in a closed not space. Not like an MRI but, machine. You know, yeah. Some people, exactly, exactly, yeah. So and then from a safety standpoint, like the way I think about it is the iodine, which is very safe. We published studies where we've seen um, no no influences in or adverse effects from that. Then there's the radiation dose that people talk yeah. about quite a bit, and yeah. I think there's a lot of sort of misinformation around radiation and potential harm the there's the the way that we look at medical ionizing radiation in relationship to risk of developing a cancer for example is all that has been extrapolated from like the atomic bombs from Hiroshima and Nagasaki and they had tremendous tremendous hotly high doses of of radiation that like were you know three four five uh, orders of magnitude higher so just for the radiation, like, um, you know, we should, we should do, there's a principle called the LARA, which is as low as, uh, as reasonably po- achievable. And that is exactly how the field of coronary CT angiogram has evolved. When we first started doing this, this is now almost 20 years ago, uh, the radiation doses were non-negligible. And a credit to the vendors who make the CT scanners, they've just developed technologies where the image quality continues to improve but the radiation doses keep going down. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, you can think of radiation, like, if you just walk around sea level for a year, you get ambient radiation of about three what's called millisieverts. They're, that's the units that they use. So three is sort of just an average individual walking around sea level for a year. Now, when I left Cornell, we were doing less than one millisievert doses, and that contrasts very favorably to those stress tests that we've been doing, the nuclear stress tests we've been doing since the 70s, which have about 12 to 13 times the amount of radiation that a CT scan has. And there weren't any adverse effects that we observed from patients undergoing nuclear stress testing. So one would presume that if you can decrease that radiation dose by more than 12-fold, that probably we're not going to see radiation doses like um, from a CT scan being in any way harmful. So it's I think far the less than a thallium like stress test, the so-called, uh, you know, where the uh, dye uh, version of the stress test. Oh, exactly. The thallium stress test actually has probably 25 times the oh. radiation dose as a non-invasive CT scan. Um, and then, you know, if you compare, if you go underneath a millisievert of radiation, uh, recalling that three millisieverts is what you get from just walking around, like let's say New York City for a year from ambient radon exposure, then less than a millisievert. Now you're starting to talk about radiation doses that are on par with a screening mammogram. Mm-hmm. And so very, very low doses that could be repeated 
yearly um, in a very safe way. So who should consider this test? Uh, you know, what what would be uh, an indication that this test might be advisable for you to guide your therapy or, you know, your efforts at prevention? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like where we started was in, you know, sort of the the most commonly imaged patients, which are those patients with suspected coronary artery disease due to having symptoms of chest pain or shortness of breath and whatnot. Um, and I think that's where we've incorporated and integrated with health systems. And um, the ones that we have, like they're like, yeah, this, this information is so useful that we just send it on everybody right now. Um, and But where I think the bigger dent that we can make in a very positive manner is in the nearly 60% of people who will never have symptoms before suffering a heart attack or sudden death. And so we will, we do have some prevention programs that we work with. And I think from a commercial standpoint, like what we are trying to do is be very judicious with not only uh, healthcare resources, um, but to make sure that like we pr- provide precision heart care in order to try to preserve healthcare resources. If you look at value-based healthcare models, that's I think where we fit best because, you know, currently we're spending more than half of our healthcare dollars on the last six months of life. That's just an untenable and unsustainable way to use our healthcare resources. If you wanted to really try to make a positive dent, you you put those dollars upstream to prevent disease rather than treating the late stage disease in the ICU, things like that. Um, so. I think in terms of the, as we uh, move forward currently, we're in both the symptomatic as well as the, um, the high risk asymptomatic populations and then really trying to interweave ourselves in a value based healthcare delivery model, uh, where we can reduce total cost of care while improving patient outcomes. Indeed. So, okay. So say you have a test that shows that you have uh, a fair amount of plaque plaque that is potentially dangerous. Is it just about drugs? Is it just about statin drugs or the new PCSK9 uh, drugs? Uh, or uh, do you factor in the potential for lifestyle inter- interventions, even uh, the use of uh, certain supplements like fish oil that could be beneficial here? It's a really good question. Like, I think that you know, um, there's an adage in, uh, that's unrelated to coronary heart disease, but in cardiology, we, we have an adage that says AF begets AF. What does that mean? It means that atrial fibrillation begets more atrial fibrillation. The longer you're in atrial fibrillation, the longer you're going to be in atrial fibrillation. Same thing with coronary heart disease. Like, the more coronary heart disease you have, the faster it's going to progress. That's uh, every study that has been published shows that. And so I think what you want to do is you want to control the horse before it gets out of the barn hmm. rather than when it becomes a problem. So at its earliest stages, I think there's very effective lifestyle treatments that you can do. And that, that includes very simple measures that are, yeah, sometimes hard to follow, but sometimes easy to follow when you're properly motivated by direct visualization of your disease process. And that includes a healthy diet. You know, like the, um, and there I think we rely very heavily on the American Heart Association, American Society of Preventive Cardiology guidelines. And that means mostly, you know, plant predominant diets. The Mediterranean diet is a particularly good diet. Um, we've seen uh, very favorable plaque changes with the DASH diet, which is a low sodium diet. And then even physical activity. And when I say physical activity, I don't mean running triathlons. I mean just Getting out and, and a brisk walk, like 30 to 40 minutes a few times a week, um, it has extremely beneficial effects on your heart. There's all these other situational things too, right? Like, uh, 
chronic stress, like generalized anxiety, like uh, obstructive sleep apnea and snoring. And mm-hmm. so there's a number of different lifestyle considerations, even before considering medical therapy. If you do need to trigger medical therapy because the burden of disease is significant, like I as a physician now have so many tools in my armamentarium where I'm no longer um, just limited to statins, but you, you mentioned PCSK9 inhibitors, there's inclycerin, there's um, SGLT2 inhibitors, there's GLT1 receptor agonists, there's aspirin, rivaroxaban, colchicine, like just that we have a huge armamentarium of tools now that we can use to control the disease process. That's particularly one of the strongest features I think of what we, we can do is that because our approach is so quantitative and whole heart, that now you can track the disease over time to say, okay, there was no way that we could tell whether or not, you know, your diet was actually working. And then if you think about like the Peloton leaderboard or the Fitbit watch, like people like to see improvement, right? Yeah. If you don't it's, know it's whether a teachable or not you're improving moment. or getting worse. Yeah, it's a report card. Exactly. Gives you feedback. Exactly. Right. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, so that's what I think would be the strength. But yeah, most of the the therapies, quote unquote, include lifestyle changes and medical therapy. So important detail, is this test widely uh, disseminated? Uh, because if we have a listener in, uh, you know, uh, Missoula, Montana or something who says, yeah, I'm going to just go to my uh, local primary care. I'm going to ask for the clearly test. Is it available uh, or is it going to be rolled out? Because I know that this is cutting edge technology. And so far, it appears that its uh, use is limited to a few centers of excellence. But, you know, what? What do you have to do to obtain a test? Yeah, it's a great question. So, like, I mean, we uh, we rolled out last year, uh, later last year, and um, the commercial team has been very successful at trying to really try to make this available for everybody. Um, currently, I don't exactly know the exact number of deployments, but we're in virtually every major metropolitan area. Um, for the person in sort of a rural town in Montana, I grew up in a more rural town in Wisconsin, like it, it will take time. But what we're trying to do, what we've done is a, a couple of partnerships with um, imaging centers so that, you know, there can be a distributed footprint that can blanket the U.S. I think that will still take us a little bit of time, but we're working hard mm-hmm. and as fast as we can at it so that somebody can at least be an hour or two away from a clearly enabled facility. If they aren't currently, we are in virtually every major metropolitan area or most. And so we can, and if you go on our website, you can see exactly where the locations are that that are available for the clearly enabled analysis. Clearly.com, and it's spelled C-L-E-E-R-L-Y. And, uh, you know, important detail, is it covered by insurance? Because uh, the EBT heart scan for some unfathomable reason, and it's a relatively inexpensive test, uh, many insurers don't cover it. It's such a useful test. Just, I mean, the old, the old-fashioned test. What about this test? Yeah, this test, like we we are working through that process right now. It's like in a traditional sort of medicine way that we've done is called fee for service, and there it typically requires three criteria. You need to get. Um, codes. They're called current procedural technology codes or CPT codes. Then you need to get coverage and then you need to get reimbursement. And so we, we are working, we've gotten the codes, um, and now we're working on the coverage and reimbursement with the payers. And we're tr- really trying to, we, we've developed a large corpus of scientific data to show that like our approach can really help reduce total cost of care 
in a fee-for-service model. So in effect, in you're, contrast, you're lobbying the you insurance at, companies and uh, and Medicare. Uh, and I, I think that it will come to pass uh, at some point that this test will be state-of-the-art and will be covered because it's so useful and so predictive and ultimately cost-effective because, you know, you can save money ultimately by administering the test and, and keeping people from ending up you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hospital. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And like, I mean, and we're not here to just go to the payers and say, just take our word on it. Uh, we have a large medical affairs team that is working tirelessly right now on, uh, they, I mean, right now they have more than 70 active research projects, but like probably over a dozen multi-center clinical trials really to prove that like this offers great benefit to patients to preventing downstream heart disease events uh, while reducing the overall total total cost of care. So I think that the, the it's, a, it's a two-way street, right? There's the payers that want to make sure that like we they're approving, covering and reimbursing like valuable technologies. And then on the flip side of that coin is the burden for us, which is um, what we have accepted and embraced is to develop the scientific evidence to prove that what we hypothesize is actually correct. Mm -hmm. To really put you to the to the test. Uh, is this test supposed to be repeated? And if so, what what kind of intervals are we talking about? You know, let's say a, pa we, a patient is alerted to the fact that they're at high risk. Uh, they go on necessary medication. They undertake lifestyle changes. They start taking fish oil and magnesium and what have you. Uh, and, uh, you know, consume a lot of uh, olive oil. Um, when should they repeat the test? How fast might you see some change or improvement? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I don't think that, like, it should be like um, an annual screening thing or anything like that. It should be to guide care, right? And we, because we have trackable metrics to determine whether or not lifestyle or medical therapies are working or not, like, I think on you can utilize that to really prove therapeutic success. And similar, I guess the analogy that I'm thinking of is like if you had a cancer and you had a PET scan, you had a PET scan so that you could see whether or not there's disease, like remaining disease or not. Once you prove that the disease is no longer there or it's quiescent and stabilized, you don't do imaging mm -hmm. anymore, but yeah. you use imaging not as a regular cadence, I'm just going to do it every two or three years just because, but you use it to really track to success, right? And then once you've achieved success, then I don't see a real need for, for repeat imaging. So um, I, th I think the field still needs to figure out the exact cadence. I know that there was a, a working group, a preventions working group that put out uh, a paper that is now, I think, submitted. And that paper really came up with sort of a treatment approach to atherosclerosis using the Clearly platform. That, um, that, that particular proposal was for a 4321 approach where if you don't have any disease don't come back for at least four years but if mm -hmm. you've got mild moderate or severe burden of coronary heart disease that like come back in three two and one years respectively let's prove that the therapy has stabilized the process and once you've proven that then i think that you're you're fine to just continue on that treatment regimen until you've proven it however if, like let's say you proved failure where somebody came in with a hundred units of plaque and now has a thousand units of plaque, then whatever you're doing isn't working. Yeah. And we need to modify that until we can prove therapeutic success. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Uh, maybe up the ante. Uh, and the other thing is, how do you find a, a clearly literate doctor? Because uh, the test is only as good as the interpretation, and, and you do make it user-friendly through your software and your nice uh, displays and visualizations. But it does require a little interpretive skill for a doctor to uh, explain the results to a patient and draw proper conclusions, right? Yes, yeah, a good question. Like, I mean, we always have a formal onboarding process, and that onboarding process comes with a little bit of education. But, um, I mean, we, we, to your point, we did design the software platform as well as the the enduring paper reports to be um, to be suitable for every stakeholder in the care continuum. So, our our goal was really to try to decipher this advanced imaging science and help support. Um, physicians and healthcare professionals to find actionable clinical insights. And so it's fairly self-explanatory, um, the software platform and, and the reports. But to your point, like, yeah, I mean, we as heart doctors have never actually directly measured heart disease um, in routine clinical fashion. So there will be an education process, and, and that's part of the clinical evidence generation that our medical affairs team is currently pursuing. Indeed. And, and final question, uh, you know, in all the cases that you've re- reviewed, have you ever come across a case where somebody has, uh, you know, very high cholesterol, say 285, 305, 318, but they have virtually no plaque or they have certainly no dangerous plaque? Is, is that possible? And does that happen frequently? Uh, it happens extremely frequently because, again, like it's an imprecise biomarker. Cholesterol is is fundamental to the pathogenesis of heart disease, but it's the, the cholesterol within the plaque, not the cholesterol within the blood. And so I can give you actually, as I was leaving Cornell, my one of my last patients had an extremely high cholesterol level, um, but was really reluctant to try to put himself on medical therapy until he knew exactly what was going on. We performed a non-invasive coronary CT scan and he didn't have any disease at all. Wow. And so we elected just to do watchful waiting. Yeah. He agreed that like it was motivating to, enough to, to change his lifestyle to a, a healthier lifestyle. But I mean, we see that all the time where somebody, somebody you think is sick and then you actually take a look and directly mm-hmm. visualize their heart arteries and you realize, nope, actually they, yeah. they aren't sick at all. And so, um, gets them off the hook from mm-hmm. unnecessary medication. You know, the burdens, uh, you know, the potential downsides, side effects of medication that uh, might be unnecessary. Exactly. And it supports physicians and patients in the process of personalizing their medicine rather than using population-based approaches. Mm-hmm. One size fits all. Okay, great stuff. And, you know, when I predict, uh, Dr. Min, that this will be uh, the state-of-the-art uh, that it'll be standard practice uh, within a few years. You're truly a pioneer in introducing this. And I think it's really going to help us uh, move towards more precision uh, in our management of cardiovascular disease, which is something that we need. We, you know, we don't want uh, cookie cutter medicine, paint by numbers medicine, uh, you know, uh, one size fits all. Uh, we need to uh, individualize care. And I think this is a potent tool towards that end. So, Listeners uh, and, you know, health practitioners who are tuning in, uh, clearly.com is uh, the place where you can find out about this. And uh, very much uh, appreciate your efforts and congratulations on uh, working so hard to develop this paradigm. Dr. Hoffman, it was a pleasure to to be on your show today, and, and thank you very much. Oh, great. Thanks for helping us get the word out. That was Dr. James Min. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. 
and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.